Hey, this is Jobber Mutsky, and welcome to Simplify Cancer Podcast. Listen, it's interesting how we spend most of our life knowing exactly what comes next. Like you wake up, you go to work, and you make plans for the weekend. Then you take a few minutes, you know, during the lunch break to think about your holiday and, and make plans. And then you look at your calendar and it doesn't make you puke your guts out. Well, cancer scrambles it all up to the point where your life becomes almost completely unrecognizable. Like it's hard to make sense of it all and it's, it's tough to open up and talk about your worries, even with people you trust the most. And that's where someone who is outside of your immediate circle can really help. They don't know you, there is no agenda. And they actually have a lot of experience in talking to folks just like you. And they know how to listen, which is always a nice bonus. So that's why today I'm talking to Maria. Maria heads up clinical psychology department at the Peter McCallum Cancer Center here in Melbourne. And Maria has a really unique way of relating to people. And today she reveals why a qualified psychologist can really be your greatest ally in helping you deal with the worries and uncertainty that comes with cancer. Maria shares how to find the right person for you. And she also has some fantastic strategies in dealing with the, with the stress and the craziness that comes with cancer. And what to do when you have sleep problems both during treatment and beyond. Like there is so much fantastic advice here. Like I'm really excited for you to meet Maria. So here she is. Hey Maria, thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate your time. I've really been looking forward to it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for, for the opportunity to be interviewed and be on your podcast today. <laughs> Fantastic. Maria, like one of the things that really hits someone over the head is a cancer diagnosis. It's a huge shock when it happens. So how do you kind of make sense of it all and how do you come to grips with it? Yeah, I think uh, once someone is diagnosed with cancer, as you said, it is a big shock and people go through a range of emotions. They feel anxious. They feel worried, they feel overwhelmed about the cancer itself and what lays ahead in terms of treatments. I don't think there is one path forward or one simple solution. And people adjust in their own time and pace. And, and some things that are usually helpful is talking about how one feels, uh, expressing it with family and friends or other peers. For some people, getting information and getting the right information from reliable sources is very helpful and they feel empowered and, and, and know what to expect. For some people, um, having too much information is very overwhelming as well. So for some other people, it's about finding the right team that they trust to and, and want to work with and they feel uh, can help them um, through their journey. Other things that are important is, you know, making sure throughout the, this experience is that you maintain things that are looking after yourself, catching up with the people that you love and care about, having, you know, trying to include uh, as the hospitals and the take over your diary, making sure that you have some things that, that you really value in it and continue with your leisure. Uh, exercise, you'll hear people talking a lot about exercise throughout this, but if, if you're able to and fit enough, it's re really encouraged. Uh, it helps people relax. It helps clear the mind. It's good for the body. So there's some of the, the tips that, that may help. Yeah, absolutely. And so in terms of 
how you you end up seeing people i think one of the challenges that the people have like i know that i had like with cancer you you often don't realize that you need help mm-hmm. like i mean psychological help because mm-hmm. you, you know it's supposed to be tough you're going through treatment you're facing all these all these issues you're thinking about your mortality you're thinking about what, what's going to happen all this unknown so i think a lot of folks that, that i speak to and myself in, included they don't really realize that they need help so how would you say that someone should go about this um, to say, well, yeah, I, I, I kind of really should talk to someone, to a professional? I think asking for help is really difficult. And I think that people often see cancer as a physical illness. There, uh, But really it is both. It's a physical illness and an emotional, it impacts on you emotionally and it, irrespective of prognosis, like it's it changes people's lives. And people are often afraid to ask for help for some of the reasons you've said. They're also often embarrassed to, to ask for help because they feel they should be coping, they feel that they should be resilient, they feel that there's a stigma attached to speaking to someone, they feel that they don't want to burden their healthcare professionals, they feel that they've been given you know, treatments to save their lives and that they feel that this is secondary and they shouldn't. So ideally what I would like to see is that, and we've come a long way, is that the emotional the impacts of cancer are seeing as part of routine care and people are offered supports and that people can feel that they can ask for help or that they're actually offered. They say, you know, you're going to go and have surgery now, but but also we would like you to speak to the psychologist or the social worker or, or to, to talk, talk about how this is impacting on you and your family. I think um, it's also really difficult to know when to ask for help um yes as you said it's it cancer impacts on you emotionally but sometimes when when you're not sleeping when you're overthinking things when you're often can't see you can't see any hope for the future and stuff like that that's probably when it's really hard and and really sort of you probably should have sought help earlier but it's people friends and family often will let you know that perhaps you're not your usual self at the moment and so to check in with friends and family um, they might be the first point of call, but to, to kind of know that it's okay to ask for help and it's a normal part of care. Yeah, cool. That's, that's a great point. Like, so that people who, you know, who love you, they can kind of best judge to help that you, you know, you're not coping as well as, as you maybe you'd like. So tell me, Maria, how does it look like? I mean, I think if someone's wondering about, what does professional help look like? Mm. So, like, what would be some of the things that you you talk about, and and how would how would someone make sure that they not they don't feel awkward or overwhelmed when they yeah. see someone like yourself? Yeah. So the, it's also important to know that seeing a a psychologist or a psychiatrist or, a, or the first sessions are often very difficult, and change doesn't happen also immediately. So it's and it's very personal because the psychologist will ask you questions about your cancer and how you're going and 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 its treatments and what and, and they'll ask you to talk about your fears and they'll ask you to talk about the side effects of the treatment and how they've impacted on you, your body. They'll ask you to talk about fears of perhaps progression or recurrence or fears of scans they'll ask you to or they'll also ask you some personal questions about your life to get to know you and your your family and your upbringing and any other traumas that may have happened previously because they're really trying to get to know you and your your own and they'll talk about your own coping styles and your resilience but one of the main things that's really important in the therapeutic process is that the person is made to feel comfortable and not judged and that you've built a rapport with your with the psychologist 
and the therapist. And I think that's probably one of the key ingredients. So people feel once they've come in that their therapist is genuine and that they've got a good rapport and they can trust them, they're probably going to have a a sort of a more sort of successful relationship and get their needs met. And it, and it might take a couple of goes to find the right therapist as well. Yeah, that's such a great point, Maria, because like I think with, with a lot of many things, even like when you see in a general practitioner or even a plumber, right? Like yeah. you need to find the right person for yourself. And I think most of us, I just think especially as you go through a medical system, you kind of often feel like, you know, I, I can't ask a second opinion or I can't go to see someone else. And sometimes the person is just, you know, may not be the right match for you, you know? Yeah, exactly. So I think it is important to screen, you know, almost screen your therapist before you go and see them. You might want to ask them questions like, you know, what is your experience in working with people with cancer? What kind of therapeutic techniques do you use? You might want to, you know, ask, have these conversations before you've gone in and seen them. And once you've given it a go, you might ask yourself, you know, can I trust this person? Do I feel comfortable in talking about, you know, What's really bothering me? Uh, do I feel that they're genuine with me? And then you can kind of establish whether they're the right person for you. And psychology is hard and therapy is hard and it's not an instant it's not an instant result because you've got to process things that are really difficult. So it's important to give it a go. But if you feel that the, it's not the right person for you or you're feeling you're being dismissed or not heard, see someone else. <laughs> Yeah, that's such a fantastic uh, point, Maria, because I think giving a patient uh, or, or a cancer survivor, giving them a, a, the feeling that they're in control is very important because with cancer, you just kind of feel so out of control with a lot of stuff. There's mm. treatment, there's all these appointments mm. and tests. Mm. You don't you don't really know what's going on. Uh, and the, the other thing that I guess comes up for people is how do you open up and ask difficult or awkward questions because there's a lot of impact on normal life. Life, right when you go through treatment or after treatment as well so the things that you know affect whether you know people will be able to go back to work or whether they'll be able to have sex or whether they'll, they'll be able to do all sorts of things mm-hmm. what is your advice on, on, on that front like how to go about asking these questions yeah I think a good therapist will ask those questions you don't um, have to answer those questions but a good therapist will give you the opportunity to talk about the impact of cancer on your on on your relationships, the impact on your sex life, the impact on and how you feel about your body from gone from a healthy body to, you know, perhaps not being so healthy now or perhaps not being so independent. Some of these difficult questions, you won't have to answer them if you don't want to, but a good therapist will provide you with the opportunity to investigate and explore those issues and they will provide you with an opportunity to perhaps even think about them differently. I feel sometimes there's a lot of pressure on um, on people with cancer to feel that they have to know everything and have to ask for everything as well, whereas I think we can guide that conversation a little better and help people explore it yeah absolutely and so what sort of therapies uh, like what sort of approach do you do you use i know you, yeah. you might, might tell it to people as well what sort of approaches do you typically would consider when you're working with someone with cancer yeah. so a lot of the work we do is uh, we do a lot of supportive counseling and getting people to tell their narrative and their experience and and you know people are experts of their experience so you know making sure that people get a chance to to explore it and 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 tell their story but we use a lot of evidence-based techniques we use cognitive behavior therapy which looks at your, the way you think and, and feel 
and changing behaviours and thoughts that perhaps may, may not be making you feel as good as you'd like to feel. We use narr- narrative therapy, we use acceptance and commitment therapies, we use a little bit of mindfulness. For people with sort of more, perhaps more advanced disease, we use more existential kind of psychotherapies as well. Cool. And, you know, Marie, like cancer is, um, I, I'm sure you come across it a lot, like in, cancer impacts a lot on, on relationships, mm-hmm. on, on friendships that, that can be tough for people. And sometimes people around you don't really know what to say or do because they don't want to offend you or say, say the wrong thing. So what advice do you have for people on that front on how to deal, how to talk about cancer with their friends, with their family, with their co-workers? workers how to you know ask for help or or get supported in the way that you want to be supported yeah i think it's you know cancer impacts on the person and it impacts on their networks of friends and family and and i think a lot of it is because families and friends sometimes don't know what to say and do and they're also feeling the emotional impact the distress the the sadness the grief of of watching a loved one go through cancer so they perhaps don't know as you've said what the right questions are or what what the right things to say and do is so what they tend to do is sometimes is to avoid it altogether and and which is the worst thing you can do (laughs) you know know, not talk about what what's going on you know some some relationships grow a lot stronger through this but it's important to have open communication acknowledge the changes in the relationships acknowledge the the reversal of roles acknowledge that someone is perhaps unable to do as much as they they have been able to do and the, and the partner or the is doing a lot a lot more acknowledge the changes in, in intimacy be able to sort of you know grieve some of these changes and it's important to be able to you know friends and some friends also want to provide lots of support but they just don't know how to so it is important to sort of to kind of direct people in the kind of support that you want so for example you know many people might bring meals but you what you'd really like is for someone to mow the lawn so it's important to kind of perhaps come up with a bit of a list of what would be supportive and what isn't supportive and delegate delegate tasks to people and to help you through some people won't be able to support you in the way that you want to and that can often be quite disappointing and sad and it's sometimes really important for the person to focus on the the, the support that's there and and work on those relationships that make you you feel better and and some relationships might come to an end as well through this yeah absolutely and and i think that's it's such a great great thing to acknowledge that that you know it's okay that relationships can can change as well because sometimes you, i guess you feel that you know it's all a bit too much and, and it's not happening the way you want to but that, that's part of life it's just maybe um cancer kind of accelerates certain things or, or maybe shows up mm. things that maybe were there before but kind yeah. of beneath the surface if that yeah. makes sense yeah. and marie also touched on the partners of, of people with cancer and you know changing roles mm. and you know, there's often a lot of pressure on the partner as well because not only they're kind of supporting uh, someone through cancer, but they kind of have to go on with their normal life and do the things that they always do. Do you think that there's a, a lot of pressure on the partners as well? Yeah, there is a lot of uh, pressures on the partner. And what we often have found um, and we're getting to understand more of is that the partners often, their distress often parallels the patient's distress to it because they have all these additional roles. And sometimes... 
busy hospitals that focus on the patient. We don't focus as much on the partner and offering them support. Um, and partners do go on and they maintain households, they uh, look after the children, they work, and they want to be a loving and caring, supportive partner as well. And what I do encourage partners to to often do is to make sure that through, through this that they find time for themselves, that it's okay for them to go and go out with some girlfriends or or their male friends or do something with with their peers, uh, it's okay to take a break um, from this as well because, as you would know, you know, treatments take a while as well and yep. it's important to invest in oneself to make sure that they don't burn out and that they're, that they're there. Yeah, that makes so much sense, Maria. And I know you kind of touched on mindfulness before. Mm. What's your take on mindfulness? Well, I think mindful, mindfulness we've seen a, a lot. It's, been, it's become quite popular in the last sort of uh, two decades in particular. I think there are mixed results in the cancer setting. So mindfulness has been very popular in treating depression and anxiety uh, and in clinical populations, and we've seen some fantastic work that's happened with Linda Carlson's group in breast cancer in in sort of, again, uh, helping with anxiety and depression. There are mixed results perhaps in people with prostate cancer, and the the studies had varied. So my take on it is that for some people it can be really, really helpful, and for some of my patients, they go, don't give me any of that meditation. <laughs> that might stay away from it. And so you kind of work with the person and what they're more likely to, to, to take up. There's some really good mindfulness resources, such as the, if people want to have a try, it's like the, the Headspace um, app, which teaches people to do mind, 10 minutes of mindfulness for 10 days so they can get a trial of it and see if it, if it works for them. Uh, there's the Smiling Mind app as well, um, yeah, which is an evidence-based app. But I think, yeah, I think it just, we need to be mindful of who we give mindfulness to. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. And then these are great, great resources. And I think that will be really good um, for, for folks to investigate because we hear so much about mindfulness, but no one really knows what that is, how it works. Yeah. So mindfulness is a, it was first introduced by John Kabat-Zinn um, into the health settings. And he, he sort of developed a, a mindfulness intervention called mindfulness-based stress reduction, which teaches you basically to pay attention on purpose to the current moment and being non-judgmental about that moment. So it really teaches you to be focused on what's going on in your mind right now um, and and to be aware of that. And, and they use a, a range of techniques. And he, John Kabat-Zinn's work was based in, in hospitals where people felt that the medical sort of treatments were not improving and then they had to learn to accept some of these illnesses and um, so he developed this technique and it has been effective for, for things like pain and um, as well. So the jury's still out about its full effects in cancer. Yeah, Maria, you're making me think about um, the challenges associated with creating you know, psychosocial treatments or interventions, uh, <laughs> that's probably you would call them, and from the perspective of people's different needs you know, have people of different age, sex, you know, different preferences, you know, some of them might respond to certain things and some people would respond to completely different things. I guess that's the individualized approach, right? That yeah. you would tailor it to specifically to a person? Yeah, absolutely. You tailor things to people's individual needs and individual personalities. And it's also what I find in the work I do 
is that people already have a whole bunch of coping strategies that they've already used that have worked in the past and and cancer has come along and so you know you and people feel overwhelmed and sometimes it's about finding those coping strategies that their people have already used to deal with other things and bringing them back into the now yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, I, that's such a great point that um, I guess, yeah, you, you're kind of helping people on the way to discover some of the things that they already know that they work for, for them. Exactly. Yeah. So when we're really, when, when we get really stressed, we give up on things that are usually good for us. So people would give up on, you know, sometimes when people are really, really stressed, they might give up on exercise, they might give up on catching up with their friends and family or, or doing something really good for themselves um, or learning something new. You just help people to get back on track. Like when was the last time you caught up with a friend and didn't talk about cancer or when was the last time you had a good, you know, you, you had some fun during this, this time? So it's about reintroducing some of the things that they may have stopped doing or, you know, if they've played an instrument, they might have totally stopped playing it, but the instrument gave yeah. them a lot of pleasure. So it's, we're trying to reintroduce some of those activities that give them value and meaning. Yeah, that's fantastic, Maria. And also, I think it's very powerful to talk to a, a psychologist uh, or a counselor, someone who is actually removed from your life, who is not you know, part of a, of a family or a friend with whom you have history and you kind of have a certain image. And I think it would be incredibly helpful to talk to someone like yourself where you can you don't have any agenda or something like that. You can just kind of talk to them and, and find a, an approach. It's almost like a stranger on the train in a good way. Does that sort of make sense? Yes, a stranger, yes. It does make sense. It does make sense. I've never been called a stranger on a train as a therapist. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like you can, you can feel yeah. like you can say anything, you know? Yeah, and I think that's why people come come to us. They feel that they can say things enough and just say it how it is for them without filtering it out or worrying about the impact that it's going to have on their families and friends. And that's why rapport is so important, that we need to make sure, you know, make sure that you're comfortable with it because that's the ultimate aim that you can say things that are on your mind um, and not fear that you're going to be judged or burden the therapist or anything like that. Um, and the therapist has some skills that can help you work through it and, and guide you, you know, guide you along the way to work out and process the issues that are going on for you. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Maria, like many many of us have problems with with sleep mm. after treatment. So, what are, what are some of the steps that you can follow yeah. to have better sleep? Yeah. Sleep is a very common problem for people with cancer. And um, my team recently, uh, my team as well, uh, in collaboration with the Royal Melbourne and um, the Royal Women's Hospital, we developed a, a, pro, a stepped care program for uh, called Can Sleep for people with cancer. And about 60% of people with cancer have sleep difficulties, if they could be during treatment or post-treatment. And the first kind of step is to try and work out what's causing the, the, the sleep difficulty. Is it that you're worried about your cancer or is it some of the side effects of cancer or do you, is there some kind of other medical thing that's causing the sleep problem, such as sleep apnea? So once, so you do need initially before you go into self-management, try to work out what that is. So if it is more of an insomnia, there are, there are lots of things that you can do. Um, and, and one of them, is, is really trying about getting people have heard about the sleep hygiene technique. So getting using your bed for, for sleep alone, not having caffeine too late at night. You know, if you're in bed for more than 20, 20 minutes tossing and turning to get out of bed and go into another room and do a quiet activity. 
you know, when you get up in the morning, one of the really important things to do is to go outside and have some natural light. And so that kickstarts your, your body clock again. Uh, and exercising in the, in the morning is also very, very helpful. So, Maria, so something that, that comes up a lot, a lot for, I guess, anyone who's been through cancer is the fear of cancer coming back. Mm. What would you recommend in terms of dealing with it, of, of mm. trying to keep yourself away from this fear and anxiety about it and kind of trying to focus on on your normal day-to-day life? Yeah. So, many, you're absolutely right. Many people with cancer fear It's one of the most common concerns, the fear of the cancer will return or progress to another part of the body. And and it's a normal response to to having uh, a cancer diagnosis. But for some people, this fear of cancer recurrence can be very debilitating. They're constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop. It feels like they've got a shadow following them. They're constantly waiting for something bad to to happen. And it can really interfere with their their quality of life and their ability to make plans for, for the future. It can interfere with their relationships on work and this fear can often be quite debilitating because people may stop um, coming to appointments because they're, they're fearful of what the doctors might say so they might avoid the medical professional they might seek increased scans which exacerbates their their anxiety as well um, the fear of cancer recurrence has also been strongly associated with depression and anxiety and uh, a reduced a poorer quality of life um, so what I recommend is knowing your triggers, like knowing that may perhaps before a scan you're going to feel it more, before an anniversary you're going to feel feel it feel it more. If you notice a different ache and pain in your body, you're going to feel very feel it more. So know your triggers, um, and then have appropriate medical information how often you know what is likely knowing your risks and and what is the likelihood when is it appropriate that you seek help how often do you need to be checking and getting screening so getting the right information from your medical team seeking having the right supports in place also talking to your medical team your friends and your family about these fears uh, but also talking to your peers i think um there's some really good peer peer support groups that people could share some of these and then once you've spoken it and you've heard it people can kind of go okay you know it's okay so this is just it's just a fear it's not actually happening at the moment um, and that can be very very helpful in making sure that you continue to do your self-care things like you know as we just spoke a bit about earlier doing things that you enjoy eating well exercising, trying to get a good night's sleep are essential to looking after your body and making your body feel better and and and, and doing things that help manage the worry. As I think we spoke a bit earlier about worry time, um, but there's things like relaxation that you can also do, progressive muscle relaxation to, to calm the, the body and, and, and the mind. There are some of the strategies that could be helpful. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you so much, Maria, for your time. It's, it's been fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, this is Joe Bakmutsky, and thanks so much for listening. Listen, I just want to take a moment to really thank you for your time, because I know that it's precious, but also I want to congratulate you. I really want to congratulate you on listening to this podcast, because as we both know, cancer is incredibly hard to deal with, and you don't want to go it alone. And you want all the support and all the advice that you can get to, to stay on top of it, to stay on top of your worries during cancer. So I, I want to tell you about the tools that I have available on my website on simplifycancer.com that can really help you. So all of these tools are available under the tools menu on simplifycancer.com. 
So tool number one, that's the first visit oncologist checklist. So if the word oncologist bothers you, like I, I know it really freaked me out. If you are worried about your first appointment, as, as again, as we all are, then this can really help you with some key questions that you want to ask. The key thing, of course, is having a list like this means that you won't forget something important, which is easy enough to do when, when you've got a million things going through your head. Plus, it's a handy PDF, so it's easy to print and write down all the answers so you don't forget. So then there is the outcome map. Like this is a really simple but really powerful tool that I have developed to help you deal with worries about something specific, something that's bothering you right now. So maybe you're waiting for your test results and your mind's off running in a million different directions. Or maybe you've got an ache or pain and you don't know what it is. Like, is it cancer? Is that a side effect from treatment? Or maybe is that something else altogether? So it will kind of help you to put it all together so you can, you can get a bird's eye view and decide how to best deal with it. Number three is mastering your emotions during cancer. Now, this is a walk through all the stages that you go through as a patient and as a caregiver through anger and through guilt and fear and how you can address your needs, your emotional needs on every level during cancer. Like it came about after many discussions that I had with my friend and my colleague. Her name is Jill. Her husband had prostate cancer. So, uh, so she has this kind of caregiver's perspective. And we both like talked about how there are so many times, um, when you go through cancer, when you kind of just feel alone and you're struggling, you're on this roller coaster of emotions and it's kind of full on and it's hard to deal with. So there, there's an audio version that comes along with it. And there's a link to download the MP3 if that's what you want, or you can just listen to it online and, you know, and just uh, listen along with the PDF. So another one is testicular cancer support kit. This has a one page summary of what the testicular cancer journey looks like that you can check out for yourself or share with your family or friends. Like it's got a helicopter view of all the symptoms and treatments and who's involved and what happens when. And it's really great one kind of page view of like what happens during testicular cancer. Plus, the kit also includes like ready-to-go email templates for your family, friends, and your workmates. So you can kind of share what's what's happened. Maybe you want to break the news on cancer and you don't want to think about and wreck your brain on what to write. So you can just copy and paste. You can tweak it a little bit so to suit your personality and you're good to go. And I've also done the same thing for prostate cancer. So check out the prostate cancer support kit. Again, it's showing all the treatment options and stages on one page. So you can walk someone through it, like someone from your family or a friend. And they know what to expect and how it all happens. And of course, when you sign up for any of my tools, and we just talked about, you'll also get an email from me when, when there's a new episode that's kind of relevant to you right now and other news from the world of Simplify Cancer. And listen, I'm, I'm going to keep on asking you about how I'm doing here. I mean, are you getting what, you, what you're looking for? Was there something in particular that, that really made sense to you? Or is there a question that you want to ask? Or maybe there's, there's just something that you, you want to get off your chest, like, please, I need to know. Just reply to any of my emails or send me an email right now. My email is joe at simplifycancer.com. So that's J-O-E at simplifycancer.com. And 
send me an email whenever you've got anything on your mind. So again, I want to thank you for listening. Till next time.